parents are the people who are raising the, the future. <laughs> the future depends on the work of parents and of teachers who are also underpaid and uh, childcare workers who are also underpaid, grossly underpaid. And, you know, there's also, of course, a short-sightedness when it comes to anything that's beyond, maybe beyond our own lifespan. I think culturally, there's there's just a lot of not thinking about the longer term effects of anything that is incredibly frustrating. And that I think became much more visible once I became a parent, right? Like I, because then it's like all of a sudden you're thinking about specific people who will, who will outlive you and the impacts of what you're doing in a different way. And it shouldn't take becoming a parent to do that, but it does. It just reframes things in a certain kind of way. And that's why it's important to see our art. Welcome to Towards a Kinder Public, a podcast dedicated to designing kinder public space that better meets our interconnected needs. I'm Kevin Castle, and along with Annie Chen, we are Kinder Public. This is the last of three episodes with Krista Donner and Selena Trepp, two highly accomplished U.S.-based artists. Krista Donner is an artist, writer, and organizer who combines material exploration and social exchange to propose speculative models. Her work has been exhibited widely, including international institutions and throughout the United States. In 2012, when her child was one year old, Krista initiated Cultural Reproducers, an evolving creative platform for and about cultural workers who are also parents. Selena Trepp is a Swiss-American artist researching economy and improvisation who works across media and space, combining performance, installation, painting, and sculpture to create intricate setups that result in photos, drawings, and animations. Selena is also active in the experimental music scene and performs with a varying cast of collaborators and as one half of Spectralina. In this episode, Krista and Selena continue the conversation on improved accessibility of professional space for parents, and how we do not successfully factor children into conversations about workplace accessibility. So they are, as Selena puts it, consciously taking a political and cultural position on the inclusion of children. The relevance of this position goes far beyond the art world and beyond even the issue of parenthood. Their work reveals a cultural short-sightedness around caregiving, which will sound familiar to individuals performing the work in different contexts, including the support of aging family members. We'll speak more on the importance of developing alternative models, archiving this knowledge so that others may find it, and what they hope cultural reproducers and allied groups ultimately contribute to the future. But there is much work still to be done, and Krista and Selena finish the interview by sharing their expertise on how we can all work as advocates in our own spaces. This episode will close with an audio clip of Spectralina's audiovisual concert for the Experimental Sound Studio in Chicago from July 15, 2020. A link to this and other Spectralina performances will be shared in our episode notes. 
so that you can view Selena Trepp's immersive projected drawings. Thank you for joining us for part three and the conclusion of this interview with Krista Donner and Selena Trepp on the creative platform Cultural Reproducers. It feels so weird that we're still stuck in this this gender loop right now. Like, I just don't even... Like we're in a time where where I'm like, is it okay to say men and women anymore? Like I, but you know, but it's still so much. It affects so many things. It affects so so much of the power dynamic there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've both written about your work as a political position and the need to push for a larger cultural shift. You share ways that this can be done, both as collective efforts and as actions performed by individual artists. Krista wrote an insightful piece about overall poor inclusion in the arts titled Who Cares for Whom? Parenthood in the Creative Community, which includes a number of strategies to improve access. Selena, would you read, if you don't mind, or I can read it, this paragraph from Spectralina, which is your performative partnership with Dan Bittney, um, which is featured in the essay and is included by yourselves on grant proposals. We are committed to being creative and engaged with the world while making sure that this includes our daughter. Having her in our life influences our outlook and thus also our creative output. Our art is inspired by our reality as most art is. We see her inclusion in our creative life as a cultural and political position. It is important that what is represented in the culture industry isn't limited to the experience of single people or to people who can afford and want a nanny or to men who have wives who take care of their kids in the background. Art should be at the forefront of social change. And in that capacity, it should offer models which allow for artist families families to be visible and supported. I immediately see in that essay and also in the Cultural Reproducers Manifesto, which you describe as a work in progress. And I I love that it is uh, evolving. An economic position, an equity position, a diversity position, and as with all your work, a proposal or suggested process for remedy. Um, could you talk about the political positions of your cultural work? Are there any things we haven't touched on that you would like to uh, elaborate? Gosh, I have to think about that. Um, I mean, I think I don't know if this is I don't know if this is an answer to that, but I was thinking about something that has come up more recently that I didn't foresee <laughs> um, that is both troubling and also hilarious, um, which is that this work, at the time felt there wasn't, this wasn't happening at the time when cultural reproducers started. It was, it was, um, our kids were both what one year old, I think at the time it was 2012. And, and so we were really trying to make what we weren't seeing addressed in the art world, in the world. And more recently I've been invited to do, to speak on it in a number of contexts. And I was talking to a, a young woman who's not a parent so far um and she was like oh i think cultural reproducers is so inspiring now i don't feel worried at all about having a kid and an art practice like it seems like like now it's just going to be so easy and i was like wow that is not the message that i'm trying to get across here <laughs> right <laughs> like i don't think that i mean this work is not done i will say uh, it's been really interesting. One of the reasons that I think I've stepped back a lot and that cultural reproducers has has slowed down in a certain in a certain way 
um, is because so many, so many other groups have started up to address similar issues that I'm kind of like, wow, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to let them run with this. Like, that's really exciting to me that, um, that these different communities all over the world are kind of popping up and, and, and expressing frustration and trying to solve problems in their specific community all over the place. So that's, I think that's been really great to see. Um, and that continues to go on. I do, I do hope that, you know, like I know that as cultural reproducers um, grew, I became aware of, of more groups that had been doing this, like in the UK, for instance, um, there are a lot of really great groups doing things there. And I connected with groups in um, the Netherlands and, and a few other places as well. Um, and I wish there was some kind of hub for that knowledge, that collective knowledge. Like I, I think cultural reproducers aimed to, you know, like we aim to do that at, at some point, like I have this resources page that's become really unwieldy. Um, and I am a, an obsessive re researcher, resource sharer, uh, librarian of things that I'm interested in. Um, but I, I hope that in the collective um, passion around these issues, that the history of that doesn't, doesn't get lost. Because um, it is, it's certainly like I'm standing on the shoulders of so many other mothers that have done this kind of work pre-internet right, that I didn't find out about until later, like Mother Art. There's one in the UK that was really interesting. The Enemies of Good Art. Well, Enemies <laughs> of Good Art was happening was happening around the same time as Cultural Reproducers. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So I was actually really excited to meet them. Martina Mullaney, I met um, at a motherhood conference in London, and I was like, oh my God, I'm, you know, I feel, you know, I'm so excited to meet you. I, you know, found out about that work right around the time when, when we were starting up things in Chicago. But yeah, no, I mean, there were there were groups doing really interesting things in the 70s, um, but it's harder to find. It's really it's harder to find that that work um, because it's not online in the same kind of way. Um, I mean, it's funny. I just realized I was like, well, that, those are the people who raised me. Right. I mean, I remember I was raised in a Marxist feminist commune in Switzerland in the 70s. So it was kind of like which I think was part of why it was so obvious to me that one had, it, it could be different. It had to be different, but also that it was, a it's about modeling it. And I think that's what you're saying too, of just creating models out there because running something is hard. So you have to sort of convince more people to just take it on, which I would say in regards uh, as an answer to your question. Also, I think that is the main thing that I realize is that the important thing is that, within each and every one of our own actions, we are somehow trying to stay as true as possible to the ideas that we hold. So that it is important that you don't, you know, that you ask for these things or that you model a certain type of family and don't fall into patterns that are easier because the structure makes them easier that you kind of take that on and say like, okay, well, it is definitely harder. I think it is harder to do like a 50-50 kind of sharing or it is harder to have spaces in which children can exist with parents and in which everybody's cool with that because it requires a certain kind of tolerance or whatever it is that it requires in that moment but to say that it's good to do the harder thing because it will lead us to the better thing and I think people will only do that when they're shown 
shown that. And I think we did that with our, with that, with that lecture series, we did a little bit of that. And then with the website, I think there's a lot of that. I see that just actually just referred somebody to, to the cultural reproducers website the other day, which was funny. I hadn't done that in a while, but I was like, they just had a kid and I was like, you should really look at that website. It's helpful. Thanks. (laughs) And, you know, I just, I actually was like, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of this group, which is by the way, the Hackney Flashers. Oh, right. Um, so the Hackney Flashers, and I was like, oh, where would I find that? You know what I did? I went to the Cultural Reproducers resource page, <laughs> and it's under Parenting Artist uh, History slash Her Story <laughs> uh, under that section. So I, I did a good job. I was able to find what I was looking for there. It's so important to have those things, too. I really appreciate your work in doing that and making that part of your practice, because like you said, Selena, it's hard to be pre- trying to live an alternative and to maintain that path um, when things keep kind of pushing you back onto a more conventional path. And um, uh, even if you aren't able to find people in person to kind of be in um, friendship with and and share space with, you, you have this resource that lets you know that many people have been here before and continue to look for other ways of doing things. And you're, it's like validating your feelings <laughs> in your experiences, you know. Also on your website, the, the Cultural Reproducers Manifesto is wonderful. And yeah. we'll include links to all of these writings in our episode notes. Um, there are two manifesto points, yeah. or are they demands, uh, Krista, where I think you summarize the stakes for public space with amazing insight. Would you read them or I can read them if you prefer? Sure. Um, let's see here. And I, I print everything out. So I'm going to try and not crinkle papers too much. <laughs> it's fine. The art world doesn't know what to do with artist parents or their children. This both reflects and affects all of culture. What is made, what is visible, what is curated, written about, and included in the conversation. To include our voices is to look critically and creatively toward care, complexity, and the world that future future generations will inherit. And also, instead of isolation, we seek networks of support, visibility, and dialogue. By working together to realize our collective needs and desires, we will expand the field to make possible new forms and ideas. So public space is a kind of host and exhibits characteristics of care and hospitality. And I love that you are calling for the possibility of new forms and ideas through the realization of our collective needs and desires. And part of the premise of Kinder Public is to more responsibly use the embodied energy of our architecture by building, sorry, my little guy is destroying the bathroom. (laughs) Great purpose. So part of the part of the premise of Kinder Public is to more responsibly use the embodied energy of our architecture by building beyond the limits of cultural convention. Public bathrooms tend to be one spectacular example of uncritical design. What ideas and forms do you find interesting and what areas for innovation are meaningful to you? I agree with public bathrooms, at least when Max was a baby. He went, for example, to um, the Contemporary Art Museum in Boston, Matt, what's it called? I don't know what it's called, but it was brand new at the time. And shockingly, only the women's bathroom had a changing table. And I was like, well, that was, I don't know, must have been around 2011, 12, 
when we need a changing table still. And I, I thought that was really strange because there's an assumption there that whoever has the baby, like what if a dad goes to the museum alone with the baby and needs to change? What do you do? So yeah, that's one. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, we do see that changing right now. There are these family bathrooms here and there, but it's still, it's remarkable that that hasn't been fully resolved yet anywhere um, or most places. I mean, it's funny. This is a question that I always ask people and I'm, and now Things are just changing around so much. I, I weirdly don't have an answer at the top of my head. Um, Universal health care. Yeah. That's a huge one mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that has everything to do with everything, ultimately. Yeah, universal health care. And I think, you know, just um, paid family leave and, and high quality child care being accessible to all people, right? Like these are not things that are specific to the art world. They're just specific to humanity. Um, and there are things that exist in lots of other, you know, that exist in lots of other places. Uh, one thing that was interesting when I when I did a, a workshop with artist mothers in the Netherlands was that they were coming at it from such a different perspective because they were they were really angry that there was this expectation that you would put your kids into the subsidized child care when they were a certain age. And so then you couldn't you couldn't make art and be with them because there was this expectation that that they would just go straight into daycare. And I was like, oh, it would just be so nice to be able to afford daycare, right? Like we just don't even have that option here. It's, I, it was like we were in alternate universes there. Um, but I think, you know, in the, in the U.S. specifically, um, yeah, having, having affordable healthcare for, for humans of all ages and, and having uh, childcare, high quality childcare that's accessible to everyone are things that we have a long way to go on. We have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to also really thinking about how to create a conscience and a culture of thinking more communally, ultimately, because all, all those demands are really demands of seeing that, giving an understanding that the community does better if everybody does better and, and that children are important for all of us. So the fact that you have children isn't a private luxury thing. It is actually going to be what is going to pay social security and going to ensure our care when we're old and really acknowledging that and acknowledging that it's not just the productive person that's important, but either end of life is very important. I'm really starting to think about, I'm currently also starting to really think about of like end of life stuff, like as my parents and in-laws are becoming older and we ourselves are getting older and really thinking about like, Similar, very similar problems happen then again and thinking like how it really is all about our lack of care for the non-productive ultimately. But I also find it really interesting that in America, the conversation is so much about self-care, which sounds kind of nice, but also is also kind of strange because it really is like this responsibility that everyone individualized has for themselves as opposed to thinking about like, well, what is it what is it in our life that requires so much self-care in this conscious way that our world around us is obviously so hostile yeah no one's no one's caring for anyone <laughs> so of course we have self-care is the only option we have right but yeah i mean it feels so so short-sighted to be to be thinking about right like parents are the people who are raising the next generation, the, the people who will be the presidents and the, you know, the people who will be shaping the future. Um, and I think 
not only the presidents. I mean, I think it's important to also say, like, not just the best and the smartest and the it's just humanity, right? Like the whole sort of everything. Yeah. Right. I, so so like parents are the people who are raising the, the future. <laughs> the future depends on the work of parents and of and of teachers who are also underpaid and uh, child care workers who are also underpaid, grossly underpaid. And, you know, there's also, of course, a short short sightedness when it comes to anything that's beyond maybe beyond our own lifespan, hence climate change. Right. Like I think culturally there's there's just a lot of um, not thinking about the longer term effects of anything um, that is incredibly frustrating. And I think and that I think became much more visible once I became a parent. Right. Like I because then it's like all of a sudden you have this window into you're thinking about um specific people who will who will outlive you and the impacts of what you're doing in a different way and it shouldn't take becoming a parent to do that but it does it just reframes things in a certain kind of way and that's why it's important to see our art <laughs> right right so not everybody not everybody's thinking about it. yeah in your event work you have been altering physical spaces finding ways to make additional support available and rethinking event time, among other things. It's not an overstatement to say that you are innovators of inclusion for all. And I can think of many communities that would be positively impacted by your modifications. On a personal note, although I was never able to participate in your childcare supported events myself, I found your work very impactful when I was navigating life with a preschooler and an infant. In addition to any barriers for participation in the art community, my family has very specific requirements from public space as we encompass individuals with differences. And I'm more adamant than ever that your explorations can make such a meaningful difference to a wider ability for inclusion and participation in public space. How do you encourage people to begin their own investigations, experiments, and alterations? Do you have any suggestions for people to effectively voice or visualize their needs? Any tips that you would like to share for individual or collective action? I think it's really important to look at the problem that you have in sort of a distant way, like to not be inside of it, but really step out and then really think about all the stakeholders. So one of the things that I think was successful for us was that we did go to the institutions with a very clear plan and understanding of what they might want to do and how it would be beneficial to them. So really trying to think about how do you convince somebody to do something? What are the reasons why they might want to do it? Right. And sort of approach it from there. So always really thinking about it strategically, I guess. I think it's really, these are mostly very emotional things, usually where we're angry or sad or upset that we even get into the mode of wanting to change something, but then to be able to step back and really think about like, how do you get somebody to change something? You need to find the thing that will be beneficial to them in there or like make sense to them and then go from there. So I think sometimes, or not always, being strategic is really good to kind of like push down the wall, but think about where do you, where do you push? to get it going. Yeah, and, and I was thinking about when we when we started doing these these workshops which are called making it what you need making it what we need workshops. Thanks Selena for that title. Um we were we were in part responding to whenever we would get together with with folks whether it was officially or unofficially 
I think early on we opened up the conversation around like what's not working for you or what what do you wish would change what you know what do you see that needs to be fixed and it, and at one event that we had it really snowballed and it ended up being we didn't no one had time to like circle back and think about solutions because people were just like yeah and this is really messed up and this is horrible and it got so overwhelmingly um people just felt so defeated by the end right because we we had to keep a certain time frame and everyone you know the complaints kept piling on top of each other and no one could figure out what to do about them. And so, so we, we came up with the system where we had worksheets and people would write down their key frustrating, the, the, the key things that were really um, holding them back or the key obstacles they would find. And as Selena would put it, the key prompts, right. To, um, to jump off from in terms of making something that would, that would be so much better than that. Right. And um, and I think that that's that's such a good a good place to start is to is to write it all down, uh, not necessarily get caught up in a whole conversation that could go on forever and ever and ever, because there are many things that need to be addressed in the world. Um, but then to to just choose to like circle maybe two of those things that feel the most pressing and sit down with a person or sit down with a, a small group of people put your key things together and and then brainstorm as a small group or or just on your own, but like, see like, okay, which one of these things is going to be a creative prompt that I can push against, that I can shape something new around? Like, what would that look like if money was no object? If I didn't have these limitations, what would that look like? And who do I know that might be able to help with that? Or who might be able to put me in contact with someone who uh, who knows more about that than I do? Um, so that, so that it's not all on one person, um, but you also don't get stuck in this sort of cycle of, of, um, feeling defeated. Absolutely. And also, I think very importantly to change perspective of power situations, I think very often sort of going from the defeated, I think we very often start from the point of feeling disempowered, but trying to really see our position and our experience as something that is very desirable. And as soon as you start thinking of it in that way, you also start addressing things from that perspective which can be very convincing actually just having that like knowing that understanding that being like no this is not like if somebody says but you're just a parent you're like yeah well that's why I know all these things or this is really sort of turning it around and starting to really think about it as strengths that's why also really problems are a very interesting thing to have and seeing the world is not a, a static place but a place which is constantly in flux and that we are always shaping and that we can be much more active in shaping by not doing the things that we don't like. <laughs> that was actually something that I really learned also from parenting was like this idea of it's not just about participation. It's also about attention and what you choose to give attention to and what you choose not to give attention to. And, and that is also actually a great big power. Yeah. Selena's made some great diagrams about this. <laughs> have you seen that one uh that the diagram that's in the it's in the i should stop advertising the cultural reproducer zine because it's technically out of print but um you can get the, a pdf of it online but she made a really great diagram uh called how motherhood is affecting my art um that's sort of a flow chart a mind map it's a mind map but it includes everything from sleep deprivation 
right? Like all of the immediate things, sleep deprivation, more walking, less money, less studio time, knowing absolute love. Um, where's the one, my favorite one is zero tolerance for bullshit, which I think is, uh, has led to many things, right? But, you know, like less money leads to, leads to cheaper materials and better research. Um, less studio time leads to better work, work ethic and less work made, more intuitive decisions, right? Like all of these things that we're framing as, as things that are holding us back could actually be um, superpowers, depending on how we're, how we're looking at them. Um, and sometimes it takes another person to, to see it from that other angle um, or to add another another direction or another unnecessary resource to activate that. I think we're looking clearly uh, at, at this moment in time and the many challenges that we face collectively, like those are really superpowers. <laughs> they really are timely and necessary skills and outlooks. So that's really amazing. How can our listeners find you online, follow your important work and support what you are doing? <laughs> Culturalreproducers.org is always there. <laughs> there's a there's even a little subscription button, although um, you know, it's again like I for a while was was really beating myself up because I was just like, oh, I'm not I, have, I see the pace of social media now and people are posting every multiple times a day. I'm not very good at Instagram. So I'm just like really not active on that. Um, so I, you know, but then I also was realizing, you know, I can't, I can't keep up with what everyone's posting. Maybe it's fine to just post something every few months, <laughs> right? There, there's this, this um, sort of expectation that we will, um, that we will produce and produce and, you know, like people will consume and consume. But I think we all know uh, right. Like how exhausting it is and how, you know, like how backlogged we are on shows that we will never have time to watch or podcasts. We will never have time to listen to all the episodes we want or the books that we still want to read. Um, so anyway, but the <laughs> cultural reproducers website is out there and our individual websites are our names. Yes. KristaDonner.com and selenatrap.info. Yeah. selenatrap.info. And unlike Krista, I am totally active on Instagram. So I'm fun to follow, which is Selena Trepp at Instagram. That's great. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. for that. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our website, kinderpublic.com, for links and more information about our guests and the topic. A full transcript of the conversation can be found on Kinder Public's podcast page. Captioned episodes of all of our interviews are also available on our YouTube channel, 
where we are at Kinder Public. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you there. Please share the episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a rating and a review. This helps us make our message more visible, and we really appreciate your support. I'm Kevin Castle, and my guests have been Krista Donner and Selena Trepp. Here's a clip from Spectralina's quarantine concert for the Experimental Sound Studio in Chicago from July 15, 2020. Follow the link in our episode notes to view the entire audiovisual performance. Please take extra care, and we'll meet you back here next week.